Welcome to the Dear Beloved Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Jean, founder of the Beloved Collective, and together we will dive deep into relationships, femininity, and the stages leading up to marriage from a Catholic perspective. Here you'll find real conversations rooted in the truth, dispelling the lies found in our culture, and learn practical ways that we can keep Christ at the center of our lives and relationships. Dear beloved, welcome back. Today we have a special guest. Michaela is here to share her wisdom, her story, her life with us, and I am just so grateful that she said yes to coming on. Um, So please welcome uh, Michaela, and Michaela, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It is a great joy to be with you tonight. Um, Like you said, my name is Michaela Robinson. I am a wife to my lovely husband, Dan which we have a crazy story and I'll get into that shortly, but um, I'm a campus minister currently. Um, I've worked in college ministry for six years now, first as a missionary, both uh, nationally and internationally. And now I've settled down in Northern Virginia with my husband um, and still do full-time college ministry, which is the biggest joy. Um, I'm also the founder and co-owner of Thrifted and Threaded, which is a secondhand online shop that I run with my twin sister. Um, and yeah, just a normal girl, beloved daughter of God, you know? Um, and tonight I'm super excited to kind of dive into my vocation story a little bit, which, you know, has been a wild ride. It doesn't look how I thought it would look when I was younger. It doesn't look like everyone else's, you know, everyone has such a unique story, but the Lord has certainly worked in big ways in my life through particularly this story. So I'm excited to share. Um, I guess to start from the beginning, oof, where do I begin actually? My um, now husband and I met when we were in community college. So I was barely 18 years old, a freshman in college. I was raised Catholic, but at the time I was really pretty lost and not really sure who I was. I was trying out the partying scene. I was um, rebelling more than I ever had in my life. And Dan, his name that's his name, he was also very much in that scene. And so when we met, we fell for each other, probably for not the purest of reasons. Um, but we started dating And over the course of our relationship, within the first year and a half or so, Dan started to have his own conversion. He started to see the faith that my family had and the faith that I kind of claimed to have but wasn't really living. And when he was in a pretty hard place in his life, he turned to God. And it was super beautiful to witness. It sparked my own conversion. Um... And we both dove headfirst into our faith like never before. Um, He came into the Catholic Church, which is probably one of the most beautiful days of my life to get to witness. Um, And it really seemed like our lives were headed down the path which I always imagined my life going, right? You know, I always thought, okay, I'll find a guy in college. I'll, I'll nail them down. We'll get married. Once we graduate, we'll start a family, live happily ever after. Um, and it started to really seem like, wow, okay, maybe this is working out the way I've always wanted. And after we both graduated college, I became a missionary with Focus and he worked for a year. And then after that year, he also joined staff with Focus. 
And so here we were, two missionaries, really feeling like life was falling into place. And we went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land with a couple other friends and missionaries. And on that pilgrimage, he proposed to me. We had been together for five-ish years at that point. Um, and engagement seemed like the next right step. And he proposed in front of the site of the Annunciation, so where Mary's house is assumed to be. And so it was like incredible. I was over the moon, happy, excited. Um, but there was this sense of fear in my heart too. Um, I, I like to try and explain it as like, there wasn't any supernatural joy, which was a little bit alarming to me because here I was so over, over the moon, happy with the way my life was unfolding, but I would go to prayer and I would be like afraid to talk to God about it. I felt like I had to be like, Ooh, Jesus, look, I have a ring on my finger. How do you feel about that? You know, for some reason it was super weird, but you know, I kind of just chalked it up to like, Oh, that's the devil. He doesn't want good vocations. He doesn't want me to be moving towards marriage. And I kind of kept pushing it off. Um, and about a month later, we were both at summer training for focus. So we're in Ave Maria, Florida. We're in kind of a bubble. Um, we're celebrating our engagement with all of our friends. We're experiencing a ton of formation, so much like personal growth. And it's just a really fruitful and intense time. And it was during that time that our story kind of took a turn because this was the first time for Dan, especially that he had been in such an environment that was so encouraging of virtue and of holiness and of masculinity and of um, just all of these super um, like virtuous people around us who were encouraging us to be saints, you know, and in that environment, he was kind of forced to look at some of his past and some of the, the shame that he'd been hiding from. And so one night we were out on a date and we were like sitting on the beach in beautiful Venice, Florida. And he proceeded to tell me that he three years prior had, had cheated on me. And of course that like, that's every girl's worst nightmare, right? That wasn't the first time I had been cheated on either. And so it was just a really deep reminder of a painful wound. And it turned my whole world upside down. And I took my ring off my finger, kind of just without, without even needing to think too much about it. I just had this gut sense of like, this isn't right. Something is wrong here. Something's mm. uh, missing. And so I took the ring off. I gave it back to him and we sobbed all the way home. It was... It was truly the hardest thing I've ever had to do up until that point. And, you know, at first I was super confused. Like, what am I supposed to do now? Do we keep dating? Do we get counseling? Do we break up? Do we take a step back? Like, do we stay engaged, but just work on this? Am I supposed to just forgive him? Is he supposed to make it up to me? Like, there was just so many questions running through my mind. And underneath it also was the nagging lies of like, you failed, you know, like you didn't deserve this or like you guys weren't ready. You're not holy enough. Like just, it was just such a horrible time of like confusion and 
pain um, until the day that Dan and I actually decided to part ways. Um, I had come to an understanding in prayer um, with Jesus over time. He just kept speaking to my heart in a very deep and gentle way. I have more for you. Please trust me. I have more for you. It wasn't like condemning. It wasn't like you can't marry him or else you'll ruin your life. It was nothing like that. He just gently invited me to trust him that there was something better in store. Mm. And so that finally gave me the courage to realize, okay, if our relationship needs healing, which it clearly did, um, if, if he was able to hide those parts of his heart from me and from the Lord for so long, then clearly there was, there was like an idol of our relationship that he was willing to like sacrifice um, the truth to that idol in order to keep it in his life. And and I was also idolizing what I thought was um, going to fulfill me, which was marriage and, and our relationship. So mm-hmm. all these things were coming to the surface, right. During this time. And finally I had the grace to accept it's time to lay this down completely. Um, I need to give entirely over to Jesus. And so Dan and I had that conversation and and he agreed with me, which was a grace in and of itself because he was, he was pretty devastated, you know, so as was I, but I'll never forget. He, we had this long conversation. And then when we were about to part ways, he gave me a hug and he kissed me on the forehead and he said, I love you, Michaela. And I am giving you back to Jesus. And I walked away from that moment thinking my life is over, you know, like I'm going to absolutely Mm -hmm. fall apart. How will I ever recover from this? And I walked straight to a chapel and I entered the chapel. I'm the only one in there for whatever reason. And instead of breaking down sobbing, I burst out laughing. And like my soul was filled with a joy that I had never experienced in my life up until that point. Mm. I thought I was like, I kind of was like, what's going on? Am I going crazy? Like I was so overjoyed and Jesus was so present to me. And he said, thank you. Thank you so much for trusting me. Like I will take care of you. This is the joy you were made for. The joy you're experiencing right now is what I've always wanted for you. And I'm, I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to give you a taste of it. This is it. you know, your relationship with me, prioritizing me over everything else is the only source of this joy. And so there was such deep consolation in knowing that I had given my entire trust over to Jesus. Um, and then the next couple months were, were really trying. It was a really hard time. I was um, in a pretty dark place during that second year as a missionary. Um, but it was also some of the most beautiful, intimate Um, and real experiences that I've ever had in my faith journey was during that time of like navigating, okay, what comes now? How do I, how do I deal with heartbreak? Um, How do I pick myself up and put my life back together after everything I imagined is now off the table and all my plans are gone and my heart was broken open, you know? Um, And God was there. He was present to me in that really dark place in a way that I'd never experienced him before. Um, And I'll save the ending to to our story for a little bit later um, because the ending of our story 
is sometimes what people tend to get like caught up on. Whereas like in my mind, this time in between was really some of the most important experiences I think I'll ever have. Um, Mm -hmm. And this in between time is kind of the point of my story. So that's why I'm focusing more on that right now. And we'll get to the ends later. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. There are so many things that I want to ask you about, but (laughs) um, speaking about that in between time, are there things that you like skills or um, like movements of the heart that you were able to practice during that time that you hadn't been able to while you were in a relationship with him? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And it was very humbling because when we first broke up, my heart was very, um, it was trying to blame everything on Dan at first. It was like, well, he's the one who broke Mm -hmm. my heart. Like this is his fault, you know? And the longer I prayed about the situation, the more I started to realize that there was a lot of brokenness in my heart that had been unaddressed and that had been placated by the fact that I was in a secure relationship and I didn't um, need to look at some of those like more broken and needy and um, scared parts of my heart, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. so one of the first things that really became clear to me was that I was obsessed with having control over my life. Um, I had carefully curated my timeline, my image, my relationship, my work as a missionary, just like I felt like I had such a tight grip on life as if it was the only thing keeping me going was like maintaining control. And when everything fell apart, when my life pretty much burned down around me, I couldn't maintain any type of facade that I had it all together I was just in too much pain you know like Mm -hmm. I was crying in public far too often to convince people that I was like perfect you know (laughs) (laughs) but that was such a grace because when the facade came down when the masks came off when I finally accepted the fact that I am not in control but that Jesus is and and he's actually like capable of it and he loves me um, and knows what's best for me, that was when I was able to like let go of all the pressure I carried to be perfect and to be um, always in control of every single thing that was going on in my life, which is tiring and stressful. And like people pleasing will really suck the life out of you, but I was enslaved to it. Yeah. And so this type of, of darkness and sadness that I experienced was in some ways a really severe mercy because it showed me that that wasn't who I had to be. That wasn't how I had to live my life. I was actually just as beloved in my darkest moment as I was in my proudest moment, you know, and encountering those places in my heart and looking myself in the eyes um, under the gaze of my father and him looking at me with such tender love just healed so much in me of like needing to pretend and needing to perform all the time. Um, 
that was like the first time I think I learned how to be vulnerable with people. And that continues to be one of the greatest gifts to all of my friendships, to all of my relationships is that I, I'm capable of vulnerability and, and of understanding what it means to suffer and like what comes from that, you know? And so it's been a great joy of mine to have been called into a type of ministry where like suffering is kind of, um, central to it like there's just a lot of ministering I've been able to do to people who are going through a hard time um because I'm not afraid of it anymore I'm not uncomfortable with that part of life you know yeah that's beautiful I think some of the hardest things to be vulnerable about is suffering Mm -hmm. right is is the hard things because we can look at vulnerability and think of so many different forms it can take there's what on one side it's being vulnerable to the point of just you know sharing your happiness with somebody maybe when they're not feeling happy or whatever Mm -hmm. um but it's a special vulnerability when you're sharing something hard you're sharing something painful um full of suffering because you never know how the other person's going to respond and that's hard because mm-hmm. I'm sure you know, like sometimes you'll you'll be met with grace and sometimes you'll be met with um not so much understanding but someone to like just be with you in that. Mm-hmm. Um and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're met with someone making light of a situation mm-hmm. or not believing it's so bad. Or, but look at this thing that's good. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. to kind of downplay your experience. Um, So I guess kind of flipping that around, what have you learned through your experience that can like help us be better able to receive vulnerability? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. Um, And yes, you're right. I received the whole gambit of responses to my pain, you know, and that's okay. Like you don't, not everybody is going to be perfect at this. It's, it truly takes kind of going through suffering and being acquainted with your own story and your own heart to be able to do that for others. And so I don't ever begrudge anyone if they responded awkwardly or if they said the wrong thing. Yes, it hurt sometimes. But I was kind of like, not surprised by it. But because of all of the many responses I I received, I began to pay attention to like, yeah, what is actually helpful and what is not. And the mm-hmm. thing that was most helpful for me, um, the ways I felt most loved when I was suffering was when people were unafraid to ask about it, first of all, like when I didn't have to put it out there myself because when you're in so much pain um, and it's like an extended period of time. So I I was sad for like months on end, you know, it wasn't something that was just like, Oh, I got over it quickly. It was like for a long time, I felt almost ashamed of like, gosh, I'm still not over this. I'm still heartbroken, you know? And so when people would bring it up and not be afraid to address this sort of elephant in the room, that gave me the freedom to 
know that they were interested, you know, that, that I didn't have to like hide it. And another thing was that I appreciated when people didn't try and fix it um, right then and there, you know, they didn't need to offer me a solution. They didn't need to offer me um, a silver lining, but to just offer me their openness and receptivity, which is all I really needed. You know, I, I don't need other people to tell me, I mean, some, yeah, obviously we need sometimes our friends to help us discern things or to guide us in the right direction or to love us into um, making good decisions. But more than anything, I, I just needed Jesus. I needed him to remain in control of my life and to like continuously heal me and guide me. But sometimes people would step in and be like, well, what if you did this? Or like, did you try this? Or maybe, maybe this would help you or whatever. And it's like, yeah, maybe. Thank you for the suggestion. But I'm not a problem to be solved. You know, I'm like, my heart is like a mystery to be beheld and to be revered. Not, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I can't think of the word. But basically, like my heart is a precious sacred ground it's not meant to just be like covered up and and solved because a lot of times being vulnerable feels like exposing yourself to people and that's really hard to do and then when they're kind of like "Ooh, let's cover that back up for you it can be like an experience of shame of like oh gosh yes that was too much or like i'm too much yeah i'm too much Mm -hmm. right which i had to get used to battling those lies, reminding myself, no, they didn't respond the way I would have hoped, but that doesn't mean I'm wrong for feeling how I feel or still um, trying to be vulnerable and connect with people. So my, you know, my advice and the way I navigate it when I'm ministering to women who are going through broken engagements or students who are going through a hard time, I just really try to be reverent with the situation to listen more than I talk um, Mm. to point people to Jesus and not to myself, you know, to not claim to have all the answers, but to be willing to sit in whatever pain that person is in with them. Um, and yet not take it on for myself. You know, there's a beautiful freedom, um, that the Lord shares with us of, of being able to enter into people's, um, hearts without, taking the burden on ourselves because it's his it's not ours you know Mm -hmm. so all of those things were slowly but surely taught to me through my own experience and um it's a great gift to get to share those things with other people when they're in those moments as well yeah it is a great gift because a lot of times if you don't go through an experience yourself I feel like that's when um some of the reactions that we almost wish didn't happen, happen Mm -hmm. when, when people haven't gone through, um, a situation themselves. And so they don't know how to respond Mm -hmm. in, in the most, um, loving and open way. And that's another reason to just hold what people say lightly in those circumstances Mm -hmm. and not be, um, upset at them Mm -hmm. and rather just give them grace of saying, you know, that's okay. 
you know, maybe you'll mm-hmm. learn one day, but that's okay. <laughs> right, right. And when you're firmly rooted in prayer and in your relationship with Jesus, you don't need to be flustered by that kind of thing either, you know? Like, it, mm-hmm. at first I really was. At first, if people didn't receive me well, I was, like, super hurt by it, and I would be bitter. But as time went on, I started to not expect much from other people because I didn't need anything from them. I had... Mm-hmm everything I needed in Jesus and everything on top of that was just a free gift. You know, my friends who did love me well, um, that was just a free gift from God who knew his love in the flesh is always super helpful, you know? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Did you, um, you know, through this experience, was there ever a time when it wasn't easy going to the Lord? What's up, beloved fam? It's me, Laura Jean, interrupting this episode to tell you about my flagship program, Made Beloved. Made Beloved is a proximate marriage preparation program that was designed with single individuals and dating couples in mind. When I was getting my master's in marriage and family theology, I was filled with so much gratitude that I got to study those topics as a single woman. I knew that what I was learning was changing my life not only then, but would change everything moving forward. I created this program not as a typical marriage preparation program where you already know who and when you're getting married, but more to answer the big questions of, was I made for this? What are these longings teaching me about the design of God for marriage? Is there really something that can fulfill all of these desires of my heart? And if there is, How do I start building the life that supports these beautiful design of the creator? We go over all of that and more in the 12-week Made Beloved program. I only open up registration a couple of times a year, so go to thebelovedcollective.com to learn more and to sign up for our waitlist to be the first to know when registration opens up. Looking for curated, beautiful paper goods and intentional products to simplify your life? Then look no further than the Beloved Co. Shop. Yes, my very own product shop is here. Each product is made with the intention of helping you live well in the present moment. Stationery to help you connect with others, desk pads to help you remember what's really important as we plan out our weeks, and so much more intentional Catholic products to help you be a saint now and prepare you well for your future. These also make excellent gifts, so if you are looking for a gift for someone special in your life, check out the Beloved Co. shop on our website, thebelovedcollective.com. That's Beloved spelled B-L-V-E-D. And as always, you can find the link in our show notes. Oh, yeah. In this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say the first couple months were more difficult, more desolate than I'd ever experienced up until that point. Um, I remember a few days after we had officially broken off the engagement and I was praying and um, I felt prompted to read a passage from Jeremiah. It was Jeremiah 29. And we all know that one verse from that passage where it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for um, yeah, good and not for woe. And that verse just kept like playing in my head. 
And so finally I was like, wait, where is that even from? And so I opened my Bible, I, I found the verse and I read the whole passage. And the whole passage basically talks about how um, God, God saying to his people, seek after me with your whole heart. And, and once you seek me, you will find me and I will restore to you all of your treasures. I will restore to you everything that has been taken from you. And it felt like God was saying to me, trust me, it's, it's going to be okay. You know, I'm going to restore to you everything you feel you've lost. But this was only like a day after we broke up. And so I was just so hurt that I was like, how, I can't even believe this right now. Like this Mm -hmm. just feels, it's too soon. I'm too raw. I don't know that I can believe this, you know, but I wrote it down. I like, I like clung to it, even though it made me doubt. Like I was so doubtful of that promise. And I continued to wrestle with God in that very similar way of where I was angry and I didn't know really what to do with that anger at first because I had never experienced that deep emotion, like come up against my will. And I had always kind of felt and believed that it was wrong to have those emotions um, with God. And of course there are ways in which they can become sinful, but just the natural anger that like flowed from this place of pain, God wasn't, he did not blame me for that. He was not like scandalized by my emotions, you know, but I didn't really know how to relate them to him. And so I kind of just threw them at him for a while. I feel like I, Mm -hmm. I kind of threw a hissy fit in prayer for like a good couple months where I was just like, no, you took everything I loved out of my life. Like you've ruined me, you know? Yeah. And I prayed a lot with Job. I prayed a lot with some of the Psalms that are a little bit more emo. (laughs) And that brought me a lot of consolation. But um, I often left being like, where are you, God? Like, you're not, you've just destroyed my life and then left me alone to deal with it. You know, there was so much confusion. It felt like in prayer that I was sitting in front of a brick wall. And I would often receive that image in prayer where I would just go into prayer sit down and in my heart the image I would receive is just me with my head up against a brick wall and over time I started to experience this whisper of like there's something beyond this wall Mm. I promise you and so then I started to like sit by this wall but have hope that there was there actually was something on the other side of it not that it was just like a dead end and then one day the Lord knocked that wall down and and he was on the other side and and I was filled with hope again. It was, it's a very mysterious thing. You know, prayer is not exactly <laughs> um, like concrete all the time, but yeah. for a very long time, I um, blamed God rather than shared my emotions with him and worked through them with him, which was a process that needed to happen. I'm not saying like that was necessarily wrong. I don't know that I had much control over it it was just the honesty of my heart Um, and it was his grace that broke through it wasn't that I suddenly changed the way I was praying or I figured it out it was that after those emotions kind of came up and came out and I wrestled with him and I showed him who I really was and how I really felt for the first time in my life then I could see him clearly for the first time in my life too because the masks were off and 
I was just mm -hmm. Michaela. I wasn't Michaela trying to be the best little missionary there ever was, you know? Yeah, totally. We could just be God. <laughs> yeah, and through that experience, you know, you were so young when you met Dan, right? You were so young. Yeah. And, and those, those years are so formative. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I hear from people who have been in relationships since they were young and people who were not in relationships that young and they say different things. Like mm -hmm. I learned so much by being on myself, by my, by myself, or I learned so much and we were able to grow together. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm just curious and I have like an inkling of what the answer would be, but I want to hear it from your, uh, from your perspective of during this time of your broken engagement, right? And we just mm -hmm. touched on kind of your journey of your, your walk with the Lord during that. But was there anything about your identity? Like, did you come out the other side of that experience with, with a greater sense of your identity as as found in Christ rather mm -hmm. than in this thought that you had for your life? Yes. <laughs> 100%. Like you said, I was only 18 when we met and I wasn't practicing my faith. I didn't have a personal relationship with God. And so, so much of my identity came from what other people thought of me and what my relationship looked like and what I looked like and just how successful I was in maintaining this illusion that my life was perfect. And mm. that really does get in the way of the full freedom that the Lord desires for us as beloved daughters. You know, he doesn't give us any conditions on that. It's not, you're my beloved daughter. If your GPA is a certain way, or if, mm. you know, you're, perfect in every moment of every day and every relationship and you know but I didn't have that experience with God until um breaking off the engagement which not to say I didn't have a relationship with him that was growing and was striving you know before that but there was something um really powerful in being just me and just him all, for the first time in a long time since mm -hmm. basically since I developed a relationship with him. And do I think it needed to be that way? Probably not. Um, God could have, you know, God could work in any number of ways in our lives to bring us to a deeper conversion. But for me, that was what was necessary was that I needed to kind of have my, my grip on life loosened and I didn't have mm -hmm. the courage or the grace to do that myself. It kind of happened to me, which I'm grateful for now. Um, but it was once all those things were stripped away from me and I was just Michaela in front of God, I wasn't, you know, the girl engaged. I wasn't the girl um, with the perfect timeline. I was the girl with the pretty messy life, actually, you know. Um, and it was in that place that God revealed to me the depth of his knowledge of my heart, of his um, will for my life, and just of his utter 
love for me and the fact that I was beloved in my poverty, in my utter poverty, you know, that's actually who I am. Like I am naked before God, before anything else. And I can, we can all fool ourselves into thinking we'll get into heaven and show him all of the like ministries we ran and all of the um, good works we did. But truly it's our hearts and it's our, um, the way we've received and loved him in return that we will be known by, you know? And so for the first time, my identity flowed solely from who I am as his daughter and not what I do Mm. or what I have, you know, just strictly who I am by myself. Um, And it was so freeing and it continues to be the foundation of my life today. It really felt like he knocked down my house that was built on sand, Mm. built a foundation And then the house was able to be built back on top of it. But without that foundation, I don't know that I'd ever come to know the deepest truth about who I am, which is that I am beloved no matter what. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And I, at the risk of sounding like those people where you're like, oh, it's all okay because, (laughs) Um, I think it's a blessing that you were able to come to that place before entering into the vocation of marriage Mm -hmm. um to have already had that experience of vulnerability before the lord Mm -hmm. and strengthening that relationship with him and in doing so you i mean it's pretty clear what we have to work on (laughs) for ourselves right it's we're not we're not fooling ourselves here Mm -hmm. the lord shows us how weak and and fallen we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so to, to be able to receive that grace ahead of the vocation um, and in ahead of that merging of two lives mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. to become one where we stay individual but are one mm-hmm. is a great grace and something that I strive to tell the world can happen because mm-hmm. I am a huge believer in that that helps in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, so. absolutely. It is. And that's not to say that God couldn't purify our hearts once we were married, but I am super grateful no. that he did it before we entered the vocation because we were dependent on each other in an unhealthy way and in a disordered way, you know, above, above our relationship with Christ kind of came our relationship with each other. And We weren't even fully aware of that. It was a very subtle dysfunction. But yeah, like I said, God reordered that. He kind of ripped that out of our hands and and showed us what love is actually supposed to look like. And the love we receive has to come from him first. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's given as a free gift. I didn't know the meaning of free gift until this, you know, and that is what marriage is. It's making a free gift of yourself to another without thought of your own needs, of your own expectations. Um, It's, yeah, truly selfless. It's a selfless gift. But I didn't know what that was until, like, until then, because everything I gave to Dan was in return for my security before that. It was like... Mm yeah, I'm going to love you in this way, but 
I expect you to like affirm me and receive me and do all these things perfectly mm-hmm. in order to maintain my security because it's found in you and not in God, you know? Yeah. And so now in our marriage, we're way more free to make gifts of ourselves to each other without needing anything in return, without making expectations, without holding each other responsible for our fulfillment, you know, Mm. which can be tricky. I think a lot of married couples can fall into that without really being aware of it. And so I'm just very grateful for the awareness of it. We still fall into it here and there, but we've been made aware of it and we always kind of come back to this place and reevaluate and realign. Um, And we're just really grateful that we've been given those tools prior to entering this vocation. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So now can you share the story of how you entered into that vocation? I'm like, I want to hear the end of it. I mean, I know a little bit of it, but. (laughs) Yeah, I can't leave everyone on a cliffhanger. Um, (laughs) I think we've given them enough of a dramatic pause. I know, I know. I think I've emphasized enough that this is the uh, this is the good stuff. The juicy stuff is truly what happens in between. But the ending is pretty darn good, too. God is a great storyteller because about nine months or so after we broke up, we didn't have any communication. We weren't still talking or texting or anything like that. We really broke up and broke it off. But every now and then we'd bump into each other for different missionary events and there was one time we bumped into each other I think it was at the conference the big conference that we have and we for the first time were like face to face and had a conversation and um, we both had experienced a, a great deal of healing by that point and we were able to kind of apologize to each other for some of the things that never were acknowledged and were never mentioned prior to this. And it was a really beautiful and healing conversation for me. And I walked away from that very aware of my love for him, but also very aware of the freedom that I have to like continue to surrender him to God. And so it was, it was a moment of like, wow, look how much the Lord has done. And then funnily enough, right after that, I went on Um, a mission trip training pilgrimage to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And during that week, I actually, for the first time, found someone else attractive. Like I had this tiniest crush on this other person and I was stunned. I was like, oh my gosh, my heart works again. Like I didn't think it was possible for me to feel this way. You know, I thought I would be like hung up on Dan forever and never, ever be happy again. And so for the first time, I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I could be happy again. And this return of joy and hope came back into my heart over the next couple months to the point where I was invited um, to go be a missionary in Germany. And the commitment was for three years. And that was really scary for me at first, because it felt like the final surrender to the fact that Dan and I would never be together again, because who's going to wait for me for three years when I live in Europe, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just still had this freedom to be 
obedient to God and to be docile to his plan. And so I said yes to going to Germany. But I wanted Dan to hear that from me. I didn't want him to just hear through the grapevine that I was moving away for a long time. And so I wrote him a letter and it was very brief. And then I sent it and then I bumped into him another week or two later at a missionary event. And he asked if we could go for a walk because he was sharing with me how proud he was of my decision to go to Germany and how wonderful, you know, he thought it was going to be and so supportive. And then he hesitated, but he shared that he was a little bit confused because for the last nine months, he had prayed every day. He had offered our relationship to the Lord every day. He had prayed for healing and restoration and for God to guide him in what to do next. And he never stopped loving me either, you know? And so he was confused that he had trusted God to like fulfill his desires. And now here he was watching me be pulled across the world. And to him, it felt like betrayal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we were having this conversation and I explained to him, like, I actually feel very much the same way. I'm just as confused about what God is doing here as you are. But this is the only clear thing in my life right now is that I'm meant to go do this. And I I really feel like I have to. And in me sharing that, Dan realized, oh my gosh, she still loves me too. You know, like it was kind of a recognition in both of us that we were totally docile to what God wanted, but we both were longing for healing in our relationship and for restitution of what we once had. And... Dan started to physically shake on the sidewalk. He was like, he physically started trembling. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? And he explained, like, I just, I still don't know, like, what to do. I don't know what God wants for me. Like, he just kind of panicked a little bit. And I just assured him, hey, you're you're fine. I, I don't need anything from you. Like, I'm okay. I have the Lord. He's going to guide us. Um, so be at peace, you know. And we parted ways, and I was at peace. And then a couple weeks later, that moment came up in prayer where I saw him panicking and the Lord revealed to me very gently, but he said, Nikayla, all the years that you spent controlling your life, all the years you spent uh, managing your relationship and managing Dan has resulted in him being afraid to make decisions and to like exercise that aspect of his masculinity to like take charge and lead. And my heart broke. I was like, oh my gosh, to be able to see so clearly the way my sinfulness and brokenness affected someone I loved was incredibly humbling. But the Lord said, I will heal him and I want you to pray for him. I want you to pray novena for him. Um, And immediately I felt like I should pray to St. Joseph because he is the ultimate man, you know? He's the, the king of decision making and leading his family with humility, but with um, yeah, like decision and, and uh, strength. And so I prayed a novena to St. Joseph for dance healing and that he would have the grace to make a decision one way or another. And on the ninth day of that novena, about like an hour after I prayed the prayers, the final prayers, he reached out to me and asked me if I would be open to going on a date with him. And I was terrified, of course, because I'm like, oh, gosh, can I do this again? Can I face potentially breaking my heart all over again? 
But because it was such a clear answer to prayer, I knew I had to make that leap of faith. And so he showed up at my door a week later and he was wearing a shirt that had St. Joseph's heart printed on it, his most chaste heart. And I just melted. I was like, oh my gosh. He had no idea I was praying for him, especially to St. Joseph. Um, But but St. Joseph was so present in that moment in that story that I knew I could place my trust in, in him. Um, and he continued to lead Dan and I both back into the relationship that we have now. And so we started dating again. We dated for about nine months. I was abroad in Germany for most of that time. So it was a very interesting experience, but beautiful and, and, and very healing. And we got engaged nine months later and married a year after that. And we've been married for almost two years now. And both of us say all the time, we reflect on this story quite often. And we both say all the time that we wouldn't change a thing, even though it was probably the hardest year and a half or so of both of our lives. um, We don't think we would have the relationships with God that we do now. And we certainly wouldn't have the relationship with each other that we do now if we hadn't surrendered everything entirely to Jesus and let him heal us in his perfect wisdom. Yeah, and it's all of you were so right in the beginning of saying, you know, I could share the end of it, but you missed the story (laughs) because the in-between is where, like, where it happened. You know, you don't just Mm -hmm. get from one place to the other without having a journey of your heart and having a journey of your relationship with each other or with yourself or Mm -hmm. with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that is so profound. I'm like in awe of the story. Thank you so (laughs) much for sharing it. Of course. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I often share when I, when I share this story with other women or um, other couples who are going through something similar, Oftentimes they want to jump from the breakup to the healing. And they they look at our story as like, well, God did it for you. Like, can't he do that for me too? Mm -hmm. But they forget that in the passion, in Jesus' passion, there was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? Like Friday was Mm -hmm. the passion. Saturday, he was just dead and descending into hell and rising into heaven. Um, And then on Sunday, he resurrected. And... Mm -hmm we often want to jump from Friday to Sunday and just skip over Saturday where there's a lot of confusion and pain and like, what are you doing? You know, the, the apostles were confused on Saturday. They were, they wanted to cling to Jesus's promise that he would return and that he was God, but they just watched him brutally killed and it seemed like they lost, you know? And that Saturday moment of like wrestling and trying to cling to hope and, um, going through that waiting period so that the resurrection is even more sweet is absolutely necessary. And Jesus showed that to us. Otherwise he wouldn't have waited three days, you know? So yeah, it's important not to skip over that. Your plan, not going the way you thought it was like from the apostles perspective, if, if Jesus is walking and talking and saying, you know, he is the, the, you know, God and the king of the universe 
And then to see him being brutally killed, in their mind, they're like, what happened to the story? What happened to what was supposed to happen? Right. Meanwhile, they were hard-headed and didn't realize that he'd been telling them the whole time Mm -hmm. that he would go through this. However, I mean, how true is that? Like, in... In our, my own story, in, in other people's stories, like I can just imagine everyone listening, we have some example that comes to mind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. something that we had the expectation for that didn't go as planned. Maybe mm-hmm. we're in that season, right? Maybe we've just gone through a breakup or maybe we're still waiting for to meet somebody, whatever the case may be. You know, we have these expectations a lot of times. And the growth that can happen in, like you said so many times, letting go of control Mm -hmm. and giving that back to the Lord is huge. And it's something that we're constantly learning, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like, I'm sure you would agree. Like, you can't just say, I did that, done, check me. Oh, yeah, right. And like, (laughs) never have to struggle with it again. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in I'm in another season right now of of the same thing of having to wrestle and hope and wait, Mm -hmm. and and it is good all over again. It is hard all over again, but I know that the resurrection is coming, and I think the more we accept this as true, the more we're able to cling to the hope of the resurrection. You know, it won't Mm. be utterly hopeless in the meantime. Yeah. Oh gosh, so true. I have so much to think about from this story for so long. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, my pleasure. I, I like to ask my guests at the end um, to share a quote. Okay. Saying favorite is hard for me because I have a lot of favorites, but mm-hmm. sharing a quote that's been, you know, touching you lately um, in the season that you're in or whatever. Um, do you have anything like that that you could share with us? Yes. I will actually share the quote that really met me in this time. Um, Not necessarily the current season that I'm in, though it is always true. Um, But it's one of my favorites because it was so meaningful to me um, during that time in my life. And it's from St. Irenaeus, and maybe you've heard it before. It's a pretty pretty popular quote, Um, but it says, the glory of God is man fully alive. And I think prior to understanding the redemptive nature of suffering and experiencing a real resurrection in my life, I thought that that quote just meant like the glory of God is man really happy, you know, and like Mm. really joyful and faking it in some way. To me, that always just sounded like you just have to fake it until you make it kind of thing. But I, I actually don't believe that that's what he's saying at all anymore. I think he's saying the glory of God is is every aspect of man in his most honest place. You know, like the glory of God is humanity. And that comes in so many stories and so many um, experiences that he is glorified in our suffering. He is glorified in our waiting. He is glorified in our joy. He's glorified in our, you name it, like any 
true and honest experience of our human hearts that is shared with God and is offered for his glory is glorifying, you know? And I think mm. um, we can shy away towards the one end of the spectrum that that is harder to bear, which is the suffering side of things. Um, but I, I just think the glory of God is man fully alive and man fully alive is, is man that looks like Jesus and Jesus passed through the passion, the death and the resurrection in that order, you know? And so we are also too called to pass through those things and to look like him. And so that quote just reminds me that like, no matter what it is I'm experiencing, God is with me. Um, he can be glorified. I don't need to be afraid of him or ashamed of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he is going to show up, you know? Yeah. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. And again, thank you for for being so vulnerable with your story. I know it's not always easy. You've had a lot of practice in it now, but still, <laughs> I want to acknowledge that it's hard. Um, so thank you. And thank you for giving up your time to be with us and to share your wisdom with all of us. I know it really touched me and it will touch many of my listeners. So thank you so much. It is my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in to the Dear Beloved podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or many on social media and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to follow along at the Beloved Collective on Instagram and YouTube. That's Beloved spelled B-L-V-E-D. 